We'll read 1 Kings 21 and, and uh, the first 19 verses. This is God's word eternally true. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness printed for you in your bulletins or up here. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Betsy and I were having a discussion this this uh, week, uh, one night during dinner, and and uh, you know I, I uh, take these these sermons and I just uh, plop them up, you know, on the internet and goes to service and you know I record it here and it just it's easy to extract just the the audio too, and so it can go on video on YouTube as you know, and then uh, the audio can go on a podcast and. And so I, I recently got a new podcast uh, 
company that I, that I throw it up to on the internet. That's technical, isn't it? Throw it up there. <laughs> there and so so they're sending me things as a new as a new podcaster, right? Even though I've been doing this for you know years and years and years. And um, the thing is, if you're doing a podcast, there are many people who who decide I want to I want to run a pod, a podcast. Uh, but the problem is, and what I what I hear from the service I use is called Anchor. You know, so they send me these things about you know how you can keep content coming and ideas for content and how you can keep you know shows <laughs> shows up there uh, and, and what you can do so that you know you keep consistency in the shows coming and i just think you know wow you know it's just you know for for me it's just not a not a problem because we have you know god's word and there's a lot of content in here so i'm not like itching for what can i talk about all right and and for me, obviously, it's easy because it's just I'm doing this anyway, and so I just throw that stuff up there. Um, but for a lot of people, it's it's difficult because they start out, they say, "I want to be a podcaster," but they're 22 years old and have nothing to say because they're 22 years old and they've lived only 22 years of life, and so they don't understand. You know, they they haven't even reflected, you know, fully on what high school was or what middle school was or what growing up is. And, they don't know anything about, you know, raising high school kids or adult children, that kind of thing. So they, they can't speak to those things. You know, like when I was a young pastor and we had people in the church and they had high school kids and I had a second grader was my oldest when I started. Um, you just have you have left less to say. But but there's a lot of a lot of podcasts out there. Um, and a lot of people who want to be podcasts and they want to be, maybe you've heard the term, especially if you're younger, influencers. <laughs> and, and, and we look here in this passage and we see here influencers in Ahab and Jezebel. Now, we've all been influenced by many things in our, our lives, but one of the kind of silly things in our society is people are growing up and they're wanting to be influencers, but they have no expertise in anything whatsoever. And they're trying to influence in their ignorance. Uh, and we want to be aware of this as we live our lives, that we're always influenced by something that's, that's around us and people who are around us. And we want to be wise as to what we're, we're listening to that influences us. And sometimes we're intentionally going to somebody to be influenced. Like when I was a kid going to basketball camps, I was in, intending to be influenced by these coaches uh, who were selected because they were good enough to coach. But some, a lot of times we're not realizing that we're being influenced by a, a person or a thing or a show or a commercial or whatever it is. It's a point of view that's coming at us. Um, and this passage gets us to, to think about that. What's influencing us? Who are our uh, influencers? Um, do I want to be influenced right now? Uh, if you're on Facebook and you have shown any interest probably in, in basketball or something like that. I don't know why I get this feed. You know, you get different feeds based on your interests. You know, I can take a master class from Coach K on leadership. Uh, that's probably pretty good. He's like 80 years old and he started coaching Duke in 1981, I think. And 
winning as coach by hundreds of games and, and uh, you know, or, or if John Wooden could teach me about leadership or basketball coaching. He had like 10 national championships out of 12 at one point, something like that. Um, just an incredible teacher. Uh, but, but we want to be influenced by people who know what they're talking about and leading us in the right way instead of going to somebody who's been coaching seventh graders and had three losing seasons. So we look here at, at Ahab and, and Jezebel. Uh, if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that. We'll move fairly quickly through this outline. The longest outline I've ever had for you um, there. <laughs> um, but it, it's just because uh, uh, we're, we're moving quickly through it. But uh, if you like to fill out blanks, fine. If you want, just listen. That's fine, too. Whatever's easier for you to learn. Uh, but we talk about this. Those who influence, that's your blank there. Those who influence a person's life can lead them to a life of blessing on one hand. Those who influence your life or a person's life can lead them to a life of blessing and eternal life or to a, a ruined life. You can be influenced to your own ruin. It could ruin your whole life. I remember as a kid uh, watching in about fourth grade or fifth grade, uh, Lady Sings the Blues. It's a movie about Billie Holiday, the jazz singer. Uh, she was played by uh, Diana Ross and uh, uh, Richard Pryor was her piano player. Billy D. Williams was kind of her boyfriend. Um, and that, that was my introduction to Billy D. before Star Wars. Um, but uh, she, she's on the road and she's exhausted and, and, and singing night after night with this jazz band. She was around, in, I think, in the 40s was basically when she was around. And someone offers her heroin. And, and uh, you know, because that'll make her feel better. And it ruins her life. I mean, she's, she's an addict the rest of her life and eventually dies from it. And, and people around her die uh, protecting her. Um, from it. But people can ruin your life. So uh, uh, an influencer can lead you to a life of blessing and be blessing to you or lead you to a ruined life, a ruined soul, hardship caused by things you do, behavior that earns you hardship. Not hardship that's unfair, but things you've done that earn you hardship. Um, and it can lead you to a ruined eternity in hell and the lake of fire. So you want to be influenced by one who leads you into blessing, uh, both in life and eternity. Oh, that's your goal, right? To be blessed and lead a life of blessing, to have a blessed eternity. Um, and that's what ultimately, just to put in, in simple terms, that's what means whether you're stupid or smart. In life, if you're following people who are ruining your life, you're stupid. I mean, that's it. Uh, regardless of your IQ, that's it. When you consider just life, have you lived life stupidly or have you been smart in your life? And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Richard Nixon, as president, went to, um, oh, I forget what college it was. It was a small college in, in, in California. Um, anyway, he surrounded, he always had this inferiority complex. And so when he got in the White House, he surrounded himself with Harvard guys. That was a smart decision. He felt like, you know, I'm maybe not intellectually up to the task of being president. So he surrounded himself with smart people um, who ended up all going to jail because they, <laughs> they then helped him in, in his corruption as well. 
Um, but uh, it, we being smart is following those who influence us, influence us in our in a right way or a way that leads us to blessing. So what's at stake with whom you let influencing you? This passage gets at it. An inheritance. An inheritance. What's your inheritance? Or what do you get in your life and in the end from what has influenced you? Um, when we talk about an inheritance, and you see that word here in this passage, in life, as we talk about today with inheritance, you think about, you know, that's when somebody dies, maybe your father or your mother, and you, you get an inheritance, and maybe you get a house, or or there's a life insurance policy that, that they had, and so you get some money to help you out, or or maybe it's a nice a nice car like Dustin Hoffman gets in Rain Man. He gets the, his father's car as an inheritance. Uh, but number one here in your outline, God has for his people an inheritance. God has for his people an inheritance. And so you see this in, in verses one and three. Um, verse one, look down there. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite Jezreel was an area of Israel, the promised land. Um, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria, and then look down to verse 3. Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. When God's people came into the promised land with Joshua and they crossed the, the Jordan River and they came into the promised land and, and took it, God always identified that land as the inheritance he was giving to his people. And when you look in Joshua from chapter 13 onward, you see that the particular people in among the Israelites got particular land. And so the Judahites got particular land in particular cities in one area of the promised land. And, and, and those that were uh, under Zebulun, in Zebulun's tribe, the 12 sons of, of Jacob or of Israel, they get another section. And everybody gets this inheritance. And even family clans get particular land to themselves. And this land was not to be given up ever. Because God gave you, if you were an Israelite, a particular plot of land, a particular acreage, land that you farmed. And it was not to be given up by you ever unless you became poor. You were allowed to sell it, but then you were allowed to buy it back and if you could never afford to buy it back, every 50 years in Israel came a time where all the land returned to the inheritors. And so if I land, a, a, if I had, a, I was an Israelite and I owned a particular uh, piece of land in the territory of Ephraim, that land belonged to me and my descendants forever. If I became poor, you know, you see this in Ruth, Naomi's about to sell the land and Boaz buys it from her at the end. Uh, because she's poor, but you could sell the land for money so that you could buy food. But the land would be returned to you eventually, whether you bought it back from the person you sold it to, or whether you just came to what was called the Jubilee year. Every 50 years in Israel, all land returned to the family that Joshua gave it to by word of the Lord. And so you see Naboth's uh, um, objection here to Ahab buying his vineyard. He says, verse 3, now that you, you have heard that, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. This is against the law of Moses. I'm forbidden from selling this to you. 
unless it's of my initiative and I'm poor and I need it, but, but then I'd get it back anyway. Um, interestingly, you know, kings in the ancient world uh, considered all the land in their nation to be theirs. And so Ahab, king of the north, Israel, and reigning from Samaria, is of that mindset. He's not coming from the law of Moses. He's, he's being like a king of the nations. And he's saying, well, this, this land is kind of mine anyway. Uh, I'll give you some other land, which I'll just take from somebody else and give to you. Uh, but Naboth understands this, that he has an inheritance, an inheritance. So A there in your outline, um, the inheritance God has for you, it's an inheritance of blessing, an inheritance of blessing. Uh, Matthew twenty-five thirty-four, Jesus says, come, this is him saying, when I come again, second coming, when I come in judgment, I will say this, come, take your inheritance you who are blessed by my Father. When Jesus comes again, he gives you your inheritance because you're a blessed one. It's a, a blessing, or it's an inheritance of blessing. And he uses this term inheritance. First Peter 3, 9, uh, Peter says, you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. And so you as a believer in Jesus have an inheritance, and it's an inheritance of blessing. Uh, and two things now, just as summary points to get you into it. Number one, there's an inheritance that you get now. And number two, there's an inheritance that is for eternity to you and for you. There's an inheritance that you get now, an inheritance that you get at your, at your eternity or at uh, the point where Jesus comes back. And only God through Christ offers this, uh, just as he had offered it when the Israelites entered into the promised land under Joshua. God is the one, and, and he says to his people in Leviticus, all this land is mine, and I'm giving it to you as tenants. And so when Jesus comes again, that, that eternal inheritance that you get, uh, Jesus gives you an inheritance at that point out of the land that he owns. Now, B, B. Um, by having faith in Christ, there's inherit, an inheritance you get for eternity. So we'll talk about this one first. There's an inheritance that you get for e eternity. That is, for faith in Christ, you get an inheritance. That's your blank. Notice this term inheritance is used all through the New Testament. And it's picking up on this idea that God has built through Old Testament times of land inheritance in the promised land. So when scripture uses that term inheritance, the New Testament uses that term inheritance, your mind should go to promised land and a plot of land in Israel given to me by grace out of what God owns. Okay, so that's, that's your mindset with inheritance. The New Testament writers are using an Old Testament word that was set up for you. Some of the meaning of that is in the Old Testament itself. So for eternity, for faith in Christ, you get an inheritance of blessing in heaven when you die and in the new heaven and new earth when Jesus returns. So Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit? See that word there? Inherit eternal life. He doesn't just say get. He says inherit. He understands God has an inheritance that he gives to people by grace, but he doesn't understand the grace part yet. He says, what must I do 
and then he names what he wants to name there. But Paul writes similarly in Colossians 3.24. He says this, you know that you will receive an inheritance. You will receive in the future an inheritance from the Lord. Colossians 3.24. But secondly, see, secondly, there's an inheritance you get through faith in Christ now. There's an inheritance you get through faith in Christ now. Because of your faith in Christ, you experience, here's your blank, a preview. You experience a preview of your eternal inheritance now as you live, quote unquote, in the church. As you live in the church, which is the promised land of today. And that's something to understand. The church today, for the believer, is the promised land. Uh, if you were an Israelite in the Old Testament times, everyone living around you in the promised land was a believer in the one true God. God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God who created Adam and Eve and talked to him in the garden. Okay? And, and the promised land, all in the promised land, everyone believed that. Now, if you exited the promised land outside of the territory, you were in a land where people believed in different gods and worshipped different gods in a different way. So today, the equivalent of that is church. It's the place, the one place you can go on earth during your week where you are surrounded by people who say, yep, I worship the one true God. You want to talk to Adam and Eve in the garden, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of David, um, who came and appeared to earth as Jesus. And there's no dispute in this place as to who God is. Okay, that's the promised land. And that's an inheritance that you now have, that you experience now, um, weekly as we come together, but even as we talk to each other or meet together during the week, we have these little experiences of promised land living where we're no longer like out in the middle of Babylon, surrounded by unbelievers. You know, and that's your experience at, at, at work and in your neighborhood, your you're out in Babylon. That's what Peter calls the world in, in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter 5 at the end. He calls the world Babylon. You know, it's not that the world is not the promised land. The world in your workplace is not full of, of Christians who are not offering any dispute to God's existence, his creation of all things, and salvation only through Jesus. And so that's part of your inheritance now as you as you live, so to speak, in the church as one who has as one who has faith. So number one, number one there, C one. In the church, hearing of God's ways, you can live by them and experience blessing that comes from doing so. So as you live in the promised land today, it was like the Israelites. As they lived in the promised land, they could hear God's word taught and see people walking in his ways and walk along in those ways. Um, if they were in Babylon and had just walked away from the promised land, they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't get instruction in life. They wouldn't get instruction about the one true God. They wouldn't be surrounded by people who loved them and, and cared for them. But in the promised land in Israel, they would. And that's true for you um, today in the church. Um, and so we see in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, uh, Paul instructs Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. The church is the place you're getting instructed in the words of God. 
uh, so that you know how to live, so you know who God is, so you know um, how you're to respond in, to different situations, how you're to react. And, and this is a thing of blessing to you, as James one twenty five says, as we're as we're doing what we're taught from the Word, from the from the Bible, we're blessed in the doing of it. James writes in James one twenty five. So it's a life in the promise, and it's a life of blessing. And then two. Apart from this inheritance, the church, if you're outside the church, you wouldn't hear. You wouldn't hear the law of God and would live by best guesses. Okay, and that's what the world's doing. That's what podcasts are about. Best guesses <laughs> about how to live. That's what, that's what books in the self-help section are about. Best guesses about how to live. That's what... Oh, uh, um, Human philosophy is about, and, and philosophy departments, best guesses about how to live. That's what most religion departments are in universities. Best guesses about eternity and, and God and, and who he is. It's just best guesses. It's my own ideas. It's like Confucius, you know, just writing what he thinks. Um, maybe life is about balancing good and evil. I don't want 50% of my life to be evil. <laughs> right? That's a bad best guess. Um, so uh, apart from hearing the law of God inside the promised land, inside this inheritance you have of the church, you would live by best guesses and mostly, here's your next blank, wouldn't, wouldn't bring, uh, uh, those wouldn't bring a satisfying life to you. Uh, we read, Bob read for us, Matthew 7, the house built on the sand. That's what life is like if you don't have the input um, from God's law. How should I treat my mom now that I'm 26 years old? Um, how should I treat my dad as a 12-year-old? How should I treat my son as one who's 42 or one who's 70? Um, you find these things out uh, from this book. Otherwise, Jesus says, it's like building your house on the sand. Um, it may seem okay for a while, but eventually the tide's going to come in and you're going to find out that your house is just going to be washed away. Or as Jesus says, it's going to, it's going to come down with a great crash is what he says there. And that's, that's living outside of the church or living outside of having this input, um, from, from the word of God. So number two, number two, God has for his people an inheritance, um, But non-Christian influencers can steal. Here's where we get to Naboth, or Naboth and, and what's going on with him. He has stolen from him by Ahab and Jezebel, the two most influential people in Israel at the time who are evil. Um, Non-Christian influencers can steal both inheritances. They can steal the blessing that you have from being in the church and having input from God's word. And they can steal from a person an eternal inheritance that's offered to him or her in the gospel. So A there, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were unbelievers and influencers of God's covenant people. See this in verses 1 through 16. And Jezebel influences these people who are in the town that Naboth lives in. She influences the nobles and the elders to put together this, this ruse to call a banquet and to 
sit Naboth at a prominent seat and to sit two scoundrels around him who stand up and lie about him, breaking, that's the ninth commandment, right? You don't bear false testimony. This is, this is how Jezebel is influencing. Lie, break the ninth commandment. Her husband's already trying, trying to break the eighth commandment. Do not steal. He's trying to steal Naboth's property, Naboth's inheritance. And then Jezebel influences those people then to kill Naboth, to murder, commandment six. Okay, so there are influencers who do evil and who influence even people who are God's covenant people, Israelites, to do very wicked things. Now, you probably don't have an influence in your life who's trying to get you to lie about somebody in court so they go to jail or, or to kill somebody or to actually do the stoning of somebody. But we all have influencers if we're not just living our lives within the church and never listening to anybody and never going to the store. Um, so Ahab and Queen Jezebel were unbelievers, were influence of God's covenant people. Um, B, uh, Ahab and Jezebel as unbelievers, they were unbelievers, though they were in, his, in Israel and influencers. They sought to steal. That's your blank. They sought to steal Naboth's inheritance. Verses one through seven. Uh, Naboth, uh, Ahab seeks to steal it by buying it or exchanging it for another piece of property that wasn't his. And then Jezebel plots to steal. She intends to steal it uh, by just killing him and taking over the land. Um, Leviticus 25 is where we you know, read that you, you, you get the, the land back to you in the 50th year uh, there. Uh, but they're trying to take this away. Um, likewise, in Jesus' day, when Jesus comes and we've just celebrated Christmas, he comes to the earth and then he enters his public ministry at about 30 years old. Uh, the Jewish influencers of Jesus' day, the, high, the, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the various Jewish leadership, Jewish influencers, that's your C, Jewish influencers of Jesus' day, were like Ahab and Jezebel. They're just doing the same old thing. Again, they're trying, they're, they're expending their efforts so people will have their inheritances offered that are offered to them and Jesus taken, taken away. Um, Jesus himself, Mark 14, has lying witnesses, right? The Jewish leadership lines up lying witnesses to lie about Jesus when, they, when Jesus is brought to trial. And the witnesses, because they're lying, their stories are crossing. They can't agree because <laughs> they're lying witnesses. But the Pharisees, the Jewish leadership, has acted like Jezebel and Ahab here, right? Especially Jezebel, be lying witnesses so that we can put this man to death. See the, say the Old Testament speaks forward to Jesus. The same things are happening to Jesus that happened to Naboth here, to Naboth here in this, in this passage. Um, Luke 23, 14, Pilate says, I found him innocent. But the Jewish leadership says, but no, crucify him. And they just keep saying, crucify him. And Pilate says, for what? What crime has this man committed? I find him innocent. And Pilate washes his hands to physically symbolize this. 
that Jesus is innocent. We hear it from the, the criminal on the cross too. You know, we're dying for the crimes we've committed, but this man has done nothing wrong. Yet in Luke there, we see that the reason the crowd shouts to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, and they shout for Barabbas to be released instead is because the Pharisees, the priests, have gone and told the people to shout for Barabbas. Okay, so this is Jezebel all over again. Um, get, get for us what we want. Um, influence, they influence uh, against Jesus, though he's done no crime, just like Naboth had done no crime, yet was put to death as if he were a blasphemer. Okay, this was a charge brought against Jesus as well. So number one, realize what's going on in Jesus' day. Um, here's what's going on. Jesus is the source, that's your blank. Jesus is the source of one's current and eternal inheritance of the kingdom. If one doesn't have faith in Jesus, he doesn't have an inheritance. So as Jesus is preaching and teaching and doing his miracles and all that kind of thing, inviting people, come to me. The Pharisees, they spend the whole time of the Gospels convincing people not to come to Jesus. Trying to convince people that he's a fake or that he's breaking the Sabbath or that he's doing these wrong things and that people should not follow Jesus. In fact, when Jesus heals a, a man blind from born blind in the temple in John 8 and 9, um, they bring this blind man to him and say, how is it that you see now? And we read there that they admit that this man sees now and that they admit that this man has always been blind. They know this miracle has happened and they question the man and he says, well, Jesus came and he healed me. Um, and so they go and get this man's parents and his parents won't give an answer. And what it says to us there in John nine about why the parents won't give an answer is the Pharisees had communicated. If anybody speaks up for Jesus, we will put them out. We will excommunicate them from the temple. You will be excommunicated from the Jewish faith. If you stand up for Jesus. So the Pharisees, the Jewish leadership, all during Jesus' ministry, he's calling people to an inheritance. Let me give you an inheritance, a community of people who will love you, a place where you can go to learn about yourself and about God and about life, the church. I'm calling you to this. I'm calling you to an inheritance that's eternal as well, to this heavenly inheritance, this kingdom that I have over which I am king. I'm calling you to this so that you will have an internal inheritance. And the Jewish leadership is saying, don't follow Jesus. So what's happening all through the Gospels is Jesus is saying, here's an inheritance. It's free. Come and get it. And the, the Jewish leadership is saying, don't get it. He's evil. Don't get it. He's evil. So that's what's going on in the scripture by these evil influencers in the Gospels. And this continues on in the book of Acts, doesn't it? We see at city after city after city, it's almost always the Jews who hear the gospel and then reject um, Jesus, who end up coming after Paul and coming after Peter 
and coming after other Christians and creating riots um, in these various in these various towns. So Jewish influencers of Jesus' day were like Ahab and Jezebel. Um, ver number two there. So Jesus is the source of one's current and eternal inheritance of the kingdom of blessing. But then two, they influence these Jewish influencers. They influence God's covenant people away from him. God's covenant people were the Jews and they influenced God's covenant people away from him and stole from them an inheritance they could have had through faith in Jesus. So do, they're doing all they can so that this inheritance that's offered to all the people as Jesus is speaking there, even the prostitutes and tax collectors who come to Jesus, Jesus says, great, here it is. Here's your inheritance. These influencers are doing all they can so that people will not inherit the good and the blessing that God offers to all who come to him in faith. So D, D, we've seen it in Ahab and Jezebel. We've seen it in the Jewish leadership during Jesus' day and during the days of the apostles. Now D, we know today that there are like forces and like people all around. D, non-believers in the world non-believers in the world influence influence and draw people away from receiving the inheritance of the church today and the eternal inheritance that could be theirs in the end through faith in Jesus. Sometimes this is by intent, by people who are specifically against Christianity, but most of the time it's not by intent. It's just people who are living their lives and aren't Christians, but they're influencing you to do other things. Oh, don't do that. Oh, you prude. But we're surrounded by this and we're challenged in, in movies and TV. I love movies and TV, but we're challenged by movies and TVs and by TV and by advertisements all the time to value things that aren't worth valuing. And we need to be alert that there are influencers out there. Um, the non-believers are like the Jewish leadership during Jesus' day. Non-believers can be like Jezebel and Ahab. So, number one there, realize this. Realize this. Your, your life, when you leave this place, the rest of your week, you're being bombarded with messages of people trying to influence you away from the blessing you could have through loving and following Jesus in your life. Number two, or Peter says, before I get to number two, Second Peter 3, 17, here's how Peter puts it. He says, therefore, dear friends, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall. Dear friends, be on your guard, he says, so that you might not be carried away. Number two, be aware that everything, everything about life and faith that comes from the mouth of unbelievers, even those who like you, your friends. I have a lot of friends who are non-believers and all my friends growing up were non-believers because I, I wasn't a believer when I was growing up. And so all my friends were non-believers. Um, everything comes, that comes out of their mouth about life and faith, even those who like us, is coming from a perspective of blindness blindness and ignorance of the truth about God and eternity 
and the way we're designed to live our lives so that our lives go well and so we live in blessing. And so just realize that even people who have good intent for you and a lot of people have people, a lot of you have people who love you, who are giving you advice and their motives are good for you in giving you that advice. But it's advice because they're not believers, advice that's coming from blindness. It's advice that's coming from ignorance of the truth that would be coming from them if they had this book in their heads and in their hearts. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Uh, and just recognize this. You know, if your your friend is a non-believer, is an apple tree, um, you're not going to get strawberries there. And you want strawberries. Okay. Um, next, three. Truth for life and eternity is from the Bible. Uh, this is what we saw in our our, uh, deck, um, our uh, preparing for God's word. Um, John 17, 17. Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I'm talking about those who would follow him. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So truth comes from the Bible or as it's put in Psalm 119, 105, the, the second uh, verse there. God, your word is a, a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. Um, how do I know where I'm going when the world is a place of darkness? It's God's word. God's word acts to us. As, it shows us how we should respond, how we should act, how we should think about things, how we should treat people. It's all there where that our path is lit because we have God's word, the Bible. So truth for life and eternity is from the Bible. Number four, Non-believers don't have the Bible, don't read it, and don't speak and advise others' lives and beliefs from it. Realize this about your well-meaning friends who aren't believers. Realize this from people who aren't your friends and are telling you a certain way to do things or, or how to think about things or, how you should, or what you should value. Um, Jude puts it this way in Jude 17 through 19. He says, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, note that the first century is the beginning of the last times and all the New Testament writers write this way. Okay, the last times are the times between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And Jude writes, in the last times, there will be scoffers with, who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts. Best guesses. They follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So this is describing non-believers. They come along and they say, hey, join us. And this is what was happening that Jude writes to. There were people disturbing believers in the church who didn't have God's spirit, who weren't believers. And they were saying, walk in this way. Live your life in this way. But they were just simply living their life by their own sin natures and their own evil instincts. What they wanted to do, not what God was calling them to do. Not the way God was calling his people who he created and framed to live their lives. 
So realize that when a non-believer talks to you, they're not talking from the perspective of the Bible. Number five, their advice, their perspective, and their values of what's important to believe, of what's important to believe and to do, is all from blindness and darkness. From blindness and darkness. Um, Matthew 13, 13, Jesus said of unbelievers, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. What do you mean? He means that physically they're hearing the words and you can read, you know, they could even hear a Bible passage read to them, but they don't get it. They don't understand it. It's not at the, the heart and soul level where they're like, ah, there's no light bulb moment there for them. They're just repeating words without understanding the words that they're that they're saying. Um, they're trying to describe the contents of the room, but they're blind. Realize that when a non-believer speaks to you about life and about faith, they're like a blind person in a room describing to you the furniture in the room and what color the walls are. You know, if they get something right, which they can occasionally do, unbeknownst to them, it's like, hey, they got something right. They guessed right. Best guess sometimes is okay. <laughs> but most of the time, you know, they don't know how many chairs are in the room. They don't know whether they're pattern chairs or solid or solid color chairs. They don't know what colors are involved in those chairs. They don't know what color the floor is. They don't know how high the ceiling is. It's a blind person describing things to you or a person who sees who's in utter darkness. No light, no nightlight. You ever stub your toe when you're walking at night in your house? You know, I, I typically get up, get up er, earlier than Betsy. And so I'm, I'm going through and it's, it's dark and I know where certain things are. I know where the corner of the bedpost is and I grab that so that I don't stub my toe. So I know I've got a certain, you know, a certain amount of distance between that and the dresser on the left side. And then I get over to the, the door and I grab the doorknob and I pull it and, and, and I'm going like this with my other arm so that my, my elbow hits the door instead of, <laughs> instead of my head or my glasses um, there. And, and so, but, but that's what a non-believer is when they're giving you advice about life and about what you should value. That's what a movie's doing. That's what a TV show is doing when it's telling you something you should value or how you should live. It's not that non-believers always get it wrong. Sometimes movies bring or a TV show or a book brings up the, 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 uh, uh, the truth you should treat your parents well. But we evaluate these things by this book not just on, on the word of someone who's blind. When the blind person says, well, the wall is pale yellow, you don't just say, oh, it must be. You actually look at the wall and say, oh, it is. Okay, and so when a non-believer gives you advice on life, you look to this book and, says, and say, Do, does that agree or not? Um, so Ahab and Jezebel were blind and unbelieving. Um, they, uh, they led the people uh, to do murder uh, right out in the open. Um, God's people in exile reading this book, First Kings, um, years after uh, Ahab and, and uh, um, Jezebel had done this, they were all outside of their inheritances. They were living in Babylon. 
They'd all been stripped of their land inheritances, and they're reading this book and they're getting it. Why are we here in Babylon, they ask as they read the book of 1 Kings. We're here in Babylon because we listened to evil kings. And our evil kings listened to the nations around them and followed after other gods. That's why we've lost our inheritances. And God has inheritance for you in the church, richness of life in the church, richness of relationships in the church. And he has an inheritance that he offers to all people through faith in him that will be an eternal inheritance. And this is something that we want to um, go from Scripture to get, not from just somebody who's trying to be an influencer. First John 1, verses 5 and 6, John writes, God is light and we Christians walk in the light. Um, in God, there's no darkness at all. But unbelievers, John writes, walk in the darkness and do not live by the truth. That's 1 John 1. So we're people of the light. And why, why do we have the light? Because we have God's spirit in us. And we have this book, which is a, a lamp for us, a light so we can see our path. So we can know it's, you know, I guess I could turn my phone on, the, the little flashlight on my phone to walk through my room and get out to the hallway. But that's what this word is uh, to us. So number six, their advice, the advice of non-believers is probably not out of love and care for you, nor out of a desire for your best. It's probably not the top reason they're giving you advice. Um probably not for your best long term or short term um, Jezebel's advice to the people she wrote she acted like there'd be benefit to them they probably thought yeah we'll be in good with the queen but there wasn't benefit to them lying about somebody and killing them that was on their conscience for the rest of their lives she didn't care about them as they influenced them and consider that as people try to influence you to do something. Are they are they concerned about my long-term well-being? And usually that's not the case. Here's what Jeremiah says about our human hearts. Jeremiah 17:9. The human heart is apart from, apart from faith is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Those are our hearts, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So number 7, don't listen don't listen to unbelievers as they give advice. Don't listen to the Jezebels. Don't listen to the Ahabs as they give advice about life and eternity. Now, if there's an unbeliever who's a great car mechanic, listen. <laughs> He's not giving you advice about life. He's not giving you advice about eternity. Okay, there are things that non-believers can be great experts at. Somebody's a brain surgeon and has been done all these brain surgeries and successfully, and he's not a believer. Listen to him and get treated by him. He's not speaking to you about life and eternity. Okay, so we've got that qualification there. But don't listen to unbelievers as they give advice about life and eternity as they walk in darkness. They will walk into, here's your blank, they'll walk into, in terms of life and eternity, they will walk into a pit themselves. And you, if following them, will fall into the same pit with them. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you won't fall into the pit of hell. But in life, as you, as a believer, follow the advice of a non-believer, 
you can just walk right into a pit in life, a consequence of your behavior if you're living your life like a non-believer. And that's what uh, Bob uh, read, read for us in Matthew 15, 14. Jesus said, leave them, speaking of the Pharisees, the bad influencers, the people who are influencing people away from Jesus. Jesus says, leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So our non-Christian friends around us, and please have non-Christian friends and love them and care for them, just don't follow their advice on life and what you should value uh, and eternity and faith. Don't follow those things. Our world is full of pithy little statements. I just think that, you know, and, and they write that on Facebook and everybody says, you're so right. <laughs> you know, don't, don't follow those things. But, but uh, love, love your unbelievers, but don't follow them into the pit. In fact, try to persuade them to pull them so they quit walking toward that pit. You know the pit's coming to them. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I went to uh, unbelieving college and I was in a fraternity. I, I think I should, you know, so here's some advice. I think I should sleep with as many girls as I can while I'm in college. How's that working out for them now that they're 56 years old and married? Not real well. How's that working out for them back then? Right? Um, that's a pit. And so we try to draw people away from that. We certainly don't walk with them into that. Lots of advice there that's being given uh, to us uh, by those outside, by blind people um, in life. Now, E, in contrast, in contrast, Christians, especially those who love Jesus lots, Christians, especially those who love Jesus lots and know his word, his laws. Okay, so do two big qualifications there. Christians who love Jesus a lot and know his word, those two things, um, they have eyes that see, because they're Christians, they have God's spirit in them, eyes that see, ears that hear, and they have the light of scripture by which they're walking through life. Hear Jesus' words and obey them. Um, Matthew thirteen sixteen. they do. Um, they're walking according to this lamp that's in their, that's in their hands, the word, the word of God. Um, so number one there, um, such Christians will stay on level ground. And, and what we mean by that is just, you know, not just deep pits of despond, you know, and, and great, great heights, but just level ground, solid footing. Um, people who love Christ and are walking in his ways, um, they will stay on level ground and can see to point the way for you too. Um, Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen as he was concluding the Beatitudes, you, believers, are the light of the world. So let your light shine. Um, believers are lights to us. And so we, so we, look, um, we look to people who are older believers than us, mature believers. They can point, they've lived through life walking according to this thing. They've seen the consequences of living life, walking according to God's commands, his words, his perspective on what's valuable and what's not valuable. And, and they can see. And they can turn to you as a younger 
woman or a younger man and say, oh, you don't want to go that way. You don't want to do that, John. Um, you want to go here instead. And we, and we listen to those people who love Christ and have walked with him and walked by the light of his word through their lives. This is why God gives elders in, in a church that they can say, you know, walk in this way. Do it, do it this way. Here's what God's word says about this, this area of life that you're, you're going through right now. Uh, Jesus said, you're the light of the wor world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is part of the blessing of the inheritance you have in being in the church. The inheritance you have in being in the promised land of today. There are other people who are mature believers who have light that's shining all over, that gives light to everyone in the house, Jesus says. And so we come to this place and, and our, our perspectives on life and, and what we value and, and how we're to treat people and how we're to live is enlightened. We see it better because we're around uh, such people. So number two, their advice about life and eternity is to be listened to. First Corinthians 11, 1, Paul put it this way. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So you evaluate people who believe and say, here's where their life is. Like, you know, Arthur Townsend, right? You know, you look at his life and he's 90 years old and you say maybe 91, I think 90 now. And you say, that character is what I want to be if I make it to 90 years old. And I want to be more like that now. You consider the outcome of his life. Anyone ever have anything bad to say about Arthur? I don't think so. That's the outcome of his faith. And so we imitate, you know, those who have been our leaders in that way um, and, and walk in that way. And then number three, have them, those people, Christians who love Jesus and know his law, love the word, love and know the word, have them be your influencers for your own good. Have them be your influencers for your own good. So parents who are believers, elders in the church, other mature believers, have them be the ones that you're following. And then three, above all, be influenced by, guess what? Sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> by, be influenced by Jesus, yeah. That's why, you, that's why you'd follow any human example. As Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. So we don't follow any person because of that person. We follow that person if they're following Christ, if they have love for Christ, if they're walking in Christ's ways. And that person is just a means for us of seeing how my life will go if I walk in Christ's ways too, because I've witnessed this person's life and how walking with Christ and in his ways has had this certain outcome in their life as well. So above all, be influenced by Jesus. A, beyond his being your influencer, he should be your authoritative king. So he's beyond your influencer. You know, to hear from Jesus in scripture and don't say, well, I'll consider that. 
as one of my many influencing things. No, Jesus is more than an influencer to you as a believer. He's your authoritative king. And so, a B, if what he says in Scripture goes, that is, what he says goes in your life, and doesn't just influence you, your life will be solid and blessed. Um, this is the house, you know, Jesus said, what, what is that house that Jesus said that's built on the rock? Jesus says, he who hears my word and puts my words and puts them into practice. He who hears my words and puts them into practice will be like a house built on the rock. And the storms come and the waves come and try to wash the house away and it's solid and it stands. Your life is that house. And if you walk by Jesus' words with your life, you'll be like that house uh, um, standing up in all the storms of life, Jesus teaches us. Or James, who heard Jesus say these words, puts it this way in James 1.22. He says, don't just be a hearer of God's word, be a doer of it. And as you're a doer of his word, you'll be, you'll be blessed in the doing. It's not a bummer to walk in his ways or to follow his word. It's actually, as you do his word, it's a blessing to you. And, and you, you know those times when you walk in his ways, when you would have done something else, but you know he wants you to, you know, his word says, you know, be kind or be patient. And when you do exercise patient, you know you're blessed in your soul. You feel good about what you've just done. Um, and that's just the way God has wired us. He's wired us to walk in his ways. And then um, see, so uh, uh, going on from that, Jesus being your king, not Ahab or Jezebel or somebody else who might influence you. Jesus being your king is good news for you and your life because, because D, he makes your life rich and satisfying. It's good news that he tells you how to live. It's good news that your chief influencer, your king, is communicating to you about life and, and values. So summary, summary there. The influence you're to have on your life is that of Jesus. The influence you're to have on your life is that of Jesus and those who are following him. And this is not to your detriment. This is not to ruin your life. This is not to make your life a bummer or not fun anymore. But this will be, last blank, this will be for your benefit. It's for your benefit that David's your king, not Ahab. It's even more for your benefit that Jesus is your king. Let's pray.